there is a still stigma around drones, like negative, but we try not to focus on every company we approach. They're like, oh, we don't need it. The first thing they hear drones, we don't need it. We don't need this. So what we started doing was actually started focusing on their problem. Like, okay, you have this much problem. And if you didn't have this problem, this is how much you can benefit. And when we show them the benefit of the things, they don't even ask what we use. So a lot of time we don't even tell our customer we use drones. Like we just solve those problems. Before any world-changing innovation, there was a moment, an event, a realization that sparked the idea. Before It Happened is a show about that idea. I'm Donna Laughlin, and each week I'll take you on a deep dive into a singular light bulb moment that inspired the visionaries to push forward and change our lives. On this podcast, you'll hear from innovators from an array of industries and philosophies who imagined and are still imagining the future. Grab your passport and let's go on a journey together. What comes to mind when you think about drones? For a lot of people, drones are something to be feared. We think of military strikes, an invasion of privacy, or being monitored by Big Brother in the sky. Others might think of a new form of recreation for the technology inclined as people of all ages have started flying their own drones for fun. For my guest today, drones represented an opportunity. Root Patel is the founder and president of Voyager Industries, a service provider that conducts engineering, industrial, and agricultural inspections with AI-integrated drones. Root launched Voyager in 2017 in Lakeland, Florida, starting with a single drone that he bought with his own money not long after immigrating to the U.S. from India. Five years later, Voyager was one of the largest providers of drone inspections in the country, and he's only getting started. For as long as Root Patel can remember, he's always been fascinated by things that fly. Growing up in Western India, he would spend hours at an airstrip near his home, just watching planes taking off and landing. Root was the only child and his father worked in construction. He was always skilled at fixing things and developed a serious interest in technology. He decided he wanted to be an engineer, but his poor grades suggested otherwise. Because like many of the visionary guests we had on before it happened, Root struggled in school. I was a terrible student, probably the most terrible student in the entire school. I think the whole region knows that when I was at school, a uh, teacher would like check my backpack and see what I have because I would never be at the school. So they were a little concerned and they would find like a uh, little motors, batteries, circuits and different stuff. They're like, what are you building? Like, are you building a bomb or something? <laughs> but no, I was just trying to make electronics for the plane. I was wanted to make stuff. But money was a big thing. So we didn't have a lot of resources to get all the equipment and all that. So I was just always talking to people. Hey, do you have anything broken down? I can take a look and I can take some electronics out of it, whatever I can salvage and make stuff. So always been into making robots, planes. So that's what I was doing at school in the recess time. I would disappear, not go back to school. But when it, uh, my mom thinks I'm at the school, but I would be like, talking to people, making some stuff. When it's time to go back, I would go back. <laughs> so welcome to the club because half our guests on Before It Happened didn't like school. They dropped out and they didn't show up. But we also have some guests that were very creative like you that would go 
into finding found objects and dumpster dives and anything it took to create build things as well. So you might have thought you were alone then, but you're not alone anymore, which is... Definitely feels good. Yeah. So how did you go from that scenario and just a curiosity and then to pursuing an engineering field? So I got into 11th grade and in India, after 10th grade, you have to make a decision. What do you want to do with your future? So whether you want to go in science or arts or commerce, you have three options. I chose science for obvious reasons. I loved science since I was a kid. Not what was in the book, but like a actual what's out in the world. I like that. So I chose science, 11th grade. The first exam comes and I failed every subject. My combined mark for all the subjects was lowest than someone's lowest mark in one subject in the entire school. So like it was just well known that Root's not good at school. He needs help. And I just didn't care. After that, my teacher felt bad. So they were like, all right, we'll just give you grace mark and we'll push you to the next grade. So you don't have to just stuck on the same grade. And in India, like there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of bribery. There's a lot of favoritism. So I had to do whatever I had to do to get to the next level, next grade. And I got to the next grade, but now it's time for college. I, after 12th grade, you go into college. My All my friends were going to mechanical engineering. So I'm like, you know what? I want to be a mechanical engineer too because I loved motors and I loved the machines and robots and what's better place to be an engineer and to do all that than engineering school. So I went to this engineering school for like a one year. It's in a different city, Baroda. So my parents like saved money, you know, they put some money to go to go to my college. And when I went there, I on the first lecture I realized this is not for me. But I can't go tell my parents like, you know, I don't like it or anything like that. Cause it would be devastating for them because, you know, they put a lot of money behind me. They sent me to different city and do that. Even though they didn't have money, they did all that. So I kind of felt bad. So I'm like, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to focus all into learning about what I want to do. So ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a scientist, an engineer. I wanted to be a pilot and I wanted to be in a businessman, like so many different things I wanted to be. But that time I was thinking like, you know, I have a passion in aviation. Like I love the things that fly, even though I don't know anything about it, when they will work out. So I started researching, researching our library had an internet. So that's the first time I accessed the internet. So I started using internet, learning about everything. And during that time, there was an exam. I filled every exam. The college was ready to like, you know what? We are done with you. You kind of like, we can't have you anymore because you failed every subject and you eliminated. So it was that time. And luckily, I got so lucky that I got... um our visa call for our visa interview to come to America because my uncle and my parents applied for for me and my parents to come here when I was like a one year old. So when I turned 19, after 18 years, we finally get a visa call. And in one month, we go to Mumbai for a visa interview and our visa get approved. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to America. I don't have to worry about school because, you know, Growing up, you always see America as the land of opportunity. No no matter if you don't have anything, you can still do a lot of things here. So I was just ready to come here. So you had this make it or break it type of attitude at a very young age. Yes, very young age. It started when I was in like, I remember when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, 
we used to have this industrial area where all the factories and all the manufacturing happened in that town. So me and my friends would go like on a bicycle ride after the school and we would just ride. And they used to have like a bunch of waste. And we find like a magnet and put it behind our bicycle and just ride around the town. And whatever metal we collect, we sell it. And that's how we funded to buying all those things. So it started at a very young age because when you grow up, there's not a lot of resources. You have to get a job because you have to also think we have a billion more people than here. So opportunities in India are extremely low. It's not very entrepreneurial where I grew up. I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. There's a lot of merchants, businessmen, a lot of people like that. But I didn't have any influence of that. So I had to figure out on my own, like just by observing. But I knew one thing for sure, that it's school isn't for me. So you, your family gets the golden ticket. You get this opportunity, which is to come to the U.S. You're 19 years of age. Did you speak English then? Very low, very bad English. So I just only knew like how to say hello, how to say like, hey, how are you doing? I want water, like I want pizza. Like it took me like two months to decide what I wanted to order in the restaurant. So when we first come here, we didn't speak English. And it was, you know, I was very ashamed that I I couldn't speak English. You cannot communicate. You cannot express your feelings. You cannot express what you want, how you want it. You all keep that internally. But I'm like, you know, I'm going to watch YouTube video and see how people are ordering food. So I was like, just looking at video, I was writing down what I need to say. What year was this? 2015. So you're watching YouTube. I read somewhere that you listen to podcasts as well. Yes, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of music because I want, I was so hungry to learn English because the biggest gift I had, and that's the only thing I had, was my communication and talk to people, my people skill. That's what I have developed in India. But because of the language barrier, I could not do it here. So I was like, no matter what I have to do to learn English, I will do it other than going to school. So you come with your family. What state did you come to? We come to Florida, Lakeland, Florida. My uncle lived here for 20 years who originally applied for our visa. So he lived here for a very long time. So our plan was to come to America, come to Lakeland, Florida and look around what we find and decide where to go and then take off from there for like in a few months. But as soon as we came here, I, I started working. I'm like, you know, I like Lakeland. I like Florida. So we kind of stayed here. What was that when you first arrived to America and you're out of customs and all the immigration, all the stuff you have to do, and you settle into Lakeland for the first time, what was your, what was your thought about America? Was it what you thought was Florida, Lakeland, Florida, what you thought America was from afar? When I came to Lakeland, my only goal was to make money. So like I kind of put everything on the side. I started working at Dairy Queen and I kind of had to like, you know, before I do anything, I needed money. And my parents were like, you're on your own. You know, my uncle told me you're on your own. And I'm like, this is my opportunity to make money. Then I can follow all my dreams. So, But I need to have some cash in my account. So I started working at Dairy Queen and it took off from there. Can you remember some of the things that you just served up? <laughs> yeah, I actually remember the whole menu because, you know, at that time I didn't speak English. So my boss told me not to take any orders, not to talk to any customers, just do like labor work, like clean, fill up the ice cream machines, clean the bathrooms, clean the lobby, stuff like that. But I wanted to learn. So 
I told my coworker, like, can you show me the menu? Like, can you tell me, like, can you give me the headset so I can listen when you take orders from drive-thru? So I started listening that. And when it got busy one day, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to jump into the window and start taking orders. I started doing that, messed up many orders. But I had to do that to learn English. And also when I was working at Dairy Queen, I was doing a lot of research on the airplanes. Like that's, I'm like, now I have a free internet everywhere. Now I can just really like, all I have to do, just learn. And it's free out there. So what did you do with the money that you were making at Dairy Queen? So I had to spend money to live off of. When I first came here, my uncle gave me some money. So I had to pay that back. So every paycheck I get, I used to give money to my parents and I used to give money to my uncle because basically left it nothing. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to get another job and I'm going to keep that money for myself. So I started working at a pharmacy company, warehouse, so like fill up the trucks and work on a conveyor belt and just labor job. But that money, I kept it to myself to fund my business idea that I had. Root's idea was the seed of what would eventually become Voyager Industries. There were just a couple of problems. He didn't own a drone. He wasn't an engineer. And he had never flown anything in his life, not even a model airplane. But Root couldn't be deterred. He was fascinated by drones, and he'd been saving money every month since he started working in the U.S. One night while driving home from work at around 2 a.m., he heard a story on a podcast that cemented his resolve to keep moving forward until he got what he wanted. He bought a used DJI drone for $5,000, and after four tries, he received a drone pilot certification from the FAA. He was officially open for business, but one question remained. Where would he start? What did you ultimately want to do with this drone? So I was always interested in problem solving more than flying itself. And then I realized, like, I have literally have a flying machine and that has a camera and it can collect the data, it has GPS. So I started thinking, doing very technical research. And I'm like, you know, I can create like a 3D models out of this. And that time I started using drone. That's when the Hurricane Irma came in Florida. So I started using drones for doing a roof inspection at that time. And it kind of how I got started into that world. So now I had more connection. I knew English, I knew I had a drone. So I'm like, you know, I'm gonna jump on this opportunity and just start contacting roofing company like, hey, I charge you only 50 to 60 bucks to do one inspection, but I can do like 20 a day. Would you like me to do so? You don't have to go on the roof. And they're like, sure. Some said no, some said yes. So I started doing that. And then I realized I can also monitor the progress that construction companies doing. So I started knocking on their doors and seeing like, hey, if you like any progress monitoring from the drone, I can keep track of all your business all the the project and just kind of like being in that and started thinking my mind started going like oh i can solve this problem oh i can solve this problem oh this company has this kind of problem let me see what i can do so focus was on problem solving and what was the feedback were they receptive every company we approached they were like oh we don't need it the first thing they hear drones we don't need it we don't need this So what we started doing was actually started focusing on their problem. Like, okay, you have this much problem and this is how much it's affecting you. And if you didn't have this problem, this is how much you can benefit. And when we show them the benefit of the things, 
they don't even ask what we use. So a lot of times we don't even tell our customer we use drones. Like we just solve those problems. So there is a still a stigma around drones, like negative, but we try not to focus on. And because now it's becoming a kind of like a mainstream, now every companies are using it, people are being more educated. So you have a couple of unique sales approaches to getting those customers. And your motto, you have to do something to stand out. How did that come about? So I tried calling people and people, I didn't like how they treated me on the call. Like, you know, they don't, they don't want to talk to me. I send an email, they don't respond. And again, I've never sent an email when I was in India, like not one. I've never sent an email. My first email was here in America. So I started sending email to people and I didn't really knew how to communicate it, but I'm like, I just want them to meet me in person. But if they are not agreeing to meet me in person with the email or phone call, I have to stand out. So I started networking with people. I started doing whatever I had to do. I would send them gifts. I would send them a handwritten letter. Whatever I had to do to get their attention. One of the CEO I wanted to get the attention of was a big electric utility company. So I sent him like one shoe in the box and I write Dear Mr. CEO, I want to have the opportunity to meet with you. The reason I have one shoes the box to represent, I already got my one foot in a door, meet with me so I can have another. And it was just funny, like whatever I had to do to get in front of them, sometimes I send the gift of their building. I'm like, I cannot gift you the whole building, but I can gift you like a tiny building. Meet with me one time. So one day I can. Just whatever I had to do to get in front of them. I love it. Was it a really big shoe? What size was it? I, mean, <laughs> I would have found the biggest shoe possible to mail. <laughs> so now let's talk about the idea. So you have this idea and then you have you have a little bit of money, you have the drone and you're out pitching people, but you just have one drone at this point. I mean, there are other drone players in the market. So why did you think your idea was a standout idea? So the drone was just a tool. Like, what do you do with it? But the biggest asset I had was the people. So I started networking with people. I started making friends with them. And that kind of led me to get all those contracts. That's how I got every single contract, like through people, like making friends with them, understanding their what their really needs are, rather than just selling like, hey, I have this drone. This is what I can do for you. No, no, no. I started thinking, like I started understanding their problem. And only if I could solve this problem with my technology that had that's when I approached with the solution not even mention a drone so to give you an example one time I was in a Nate conference it was like a cell tower conference where all the cell tower people come there cell tower owners the Verizon Sprint and all those kind of people come in there I started networking and I made some connection that kind of led me to this big contract in Ohio Pennsylvania New York area and they were just experimenting at that time too. They were sending climbers up on the on the tower. So I'm like, hey, what if we use drones to send out and do the measurements so you don't have to send out people? He was like, you know what? That sounds good. How much you charge? I'm like, I charge 300 per tower. He was like, all right, I have 300 towers in this area. I want you to go do all those. And after you're done, I will pay you after 45 days. Those were the terms. So I went out there with the team. It was a few people and I had no money, almost had no money. So I'm like, you know, we all going to be in the one room. So you guys sleep in the bed. I'll sleep on the floor, whatever I had to do that time. Finish that contract. And that's when I started understanding this is how things are done. This is, he's paying me this much money because I'm bringing this much value to him. 
that's when the everything just started falling like into places. When you play the Tetris, like you have to stack it up the most efficient way. That time it started happening automatically. Everything kind of started while I was doing that, while I was experiencing all those things. So I started networking with all the engineers and started asking them questions. I started like, you know, if I get this contract, would you be interested in this opportunity? I'll pay you this much. They're like, yes, we are interested, you know, extra income. All we have to do some calculation, put together some reports. That's when I understand, like, you know, I cannot be in the business actually working. I have to step back a little bit. I focus on understanding client problem and putting together a team around it. So even though I didn't have money, I started paying engineers, like, you know, whatever I had, I had to borrow money from other people. I had to do whatever I had to do to hire those right people at that time. And that kind of kept me going. So I'm curious, did you bring your father in into these discussions or to the business? No, he didn't want me to start business at that time. He wanted me to do my study. So I was on my own. So just kind of like going through my own experiences and figuring stuff out. Hey there, it's Donna. I want to invite you to go check out some of our past conversations with game changers and innovators who are shaping our future. If Root's story of scavenging for parts as a kid in India resonated with you, then go check out my interview with Kodak engineer Steve Sasson, who invented the world's first digital camera in 1975. Nobody told me to build a camera or anything like that. I was working at Eastman Kodak Company. It was actually a giant factory where they manufactured all of this stuff. So when you wandered around, if you knew the right people or you were quick enough with your hands, you could come up with a lot of cool parts. And that's exactly what I did. I learned something, actually a lot of somethings, every time I talked to a new guest. They're pioneers. They're thought leaders in their fields. They all have inspiring stories to tell. And I share them with you every week So if you're enjoying these episodes, please hit subscribe and join me for more stories about the moments before it happened. So let's talk exactly what the drones do. And then you have one really specific drone called the Blackwing, which I believe is your flagship. Can you break it down? Like what do these drones are going out on their voyage? What are some of those things that they're looking for? They're going to be valuable for business. Yes. So, for example, I had this really good contract in California with Pacific Gas and Electric. I'm sure you're familiar with those big companies. I'm in California, and we have a lot of fires, as you know. Yes. So the fire was a big issue at that time. So I started approaching this engineering companies, different companies like, okay, I can use drones to do power line inspection. You know, you can check on the power line so you don't have to send up helicopters. Anyhow, I got to this company and this company to this company. Like I had to figure out my way to get to this engineering company. I partnered with them. They were already providing inspection services to PG&E. And that time the fires were happening when that's when the paradise fire happened. A lot of like millions of acres burned. It was terrible. So this engineering company gave me contract to do this inspection using drones. So we started understanding and they realized, oh, this is a huge opportunity. So they started doing their own drone team. They started having their own engineers involved and started doing this as a big level. But I realized if company this big needs service like me. So I started immediately reaching out to 
every major utility in America, every major cell tower company, every major construction company started like putting presentation, understanding their problem, like, okay, this is the problem. This is what I can do for you. And people start responding to that. Did you send more shoes? (laughs) (laughs) I started doing that, you know, like whatever I had to do at that time, like started sending shoes, started calling people, started meeting them in person, meeting them through other people. So I started expanding my circle like, hey, can you put me in touch with this kind of person? Hey, can you put me in touch with this person? Oh, if you're not the right person, hey, put me in this person, like whatever I had to do. So one of the things I think is interesting is you go from this very purpose-driven, very specific application proactively going after, you know, construction businesses and agricultural and energy are in that mix too. But now you go from a place of just being proactive and purposeful to preventative and this crisis. So you have six different hurricanes that you've been involved in. Can you describe the importance and how we, you know, we look at the natural disasters that we have around the world, whether they be fires or hurricanes or tornadoes, but how your platform and, and service can be used to give us the data and the information that we can maybe prevent. I know we can't prevent these natural disasters, but just to be more proactive and preventative and ensuring that power lines are safe and maybe certain communities and towns are hurricane Um, targets can just be better prepared. How does that fall out? So in Florida, my first experience with my business was the Hurricane Irma, and I saw how much devastation it did in Florida. So then we started reaching out to all the utility companies. Now I had some experience under my belt, and I had gained a lot of confidence. Now I can have something to show to them. So we started approaching them in a way like, okay, you cannot control hurricane. You cannot control how much is going to damage. But what you can control, what happened after the damage, how quickly you get your customer back their service. So we would be like a first responder at the hurricane. So as soon as the hurricane passed by, we go out and we fly the drones, look at all the power lines, look at all the cell towers, look at all the infrastructure, making sure it's safe for people to get back in when they were evacuated. It's safe for people to go back into those condos and like a multi-story apartments, like making doing a facade inspection, making sure how many power poles are falling down so they can not waste their effort looking for everything, but only pinpoint exactly what they need to fix. So that's how it can be helpful. So how many drones do you have today that are in operation? We have eight drones, but we actually started manufacturing our drones because when we realized that drones we buy from this DJI or any other Chinese company, they don't fulfill our needs. Like they fly for 20 minutes. They don't go that far. So I started manufacturing drones, learned how the process works. I put together resources, right people, and started designing. And we put together this big drone. What you mentioned early, Black Wing, it's fixed wing drone, flies up to 100 miles per hour, goes 12 miles away, and fly for two hours. So you can cover pretty big area and it can carry a big payload. So you can collect more accurate data with it in a a very short amount of time. And it looks like a hawk. It doesn't look like a swan. (laughs) It looks like a hawk. It's very beautifully stealth design. So you industrial design the actual, the look and feel as well as the engineering components, the functionality. 
So I designed, I kind of like came up with the shape idea. I looked at other research and there were some other fixed wings are out there just like that. But I hired an engineer. I'm like, I want you to turn this into something that I can flyable, like take it out of paper and make it in a real life. And they give us like a 3D design and rendering. And the place I work at, we have a big workshop. So you can basically make anything. So we started using 3D printers to make prototypes started using big CNC machine to make mold and just started understanding everything. I'm like, okay, this is, we have perfected this. And now we can go out in the market with something. Look, this is the drone that we build to solve this particular problem. If we were having this, you're having the same thing. And here is something that you can use as well. So that's why we decided to put that on the sale as well. Is there one particular application and i think agri- this one talk about agriculture because i think agriculture is very interesting we have labor shortages and we have climate and challenges and we have natural disasters right so how do you work in an agricultural setting for farmers so agriculture what we do is we use drones with the multispectral sensors and they're the sensor kind of understand the health of the crop and we put that those sensor on the drone and we fly over the entire farm with the one goal in mind to find what's wrong with the farm. So let's say farmers are using one million dollar fertilizer to spray out their thousands of acres or hundreds of thousands, whatever the money they're spending into their farm spraying out the fertilizer. What we do is we use this drone to pinpoint exactly where they need to spray that fertilizer and how much, how much they need to spray that much for a pesticide. So not letting their efforts go to waste. Oh, we've had a number of guests on our show that are experts in artificial intelligence and and we dissect what it is and, and what it is not. What do you think the most important aspect of artificial intelligence is that you bring? I have collected tons and terabytes of data using drones for like, construction sites, agriculture, California power lines, uh, roofing, anything can name off. We used started using the data and kind of like teaching the model, okay, this is what we are looking for. For example, when we are inspecting roofs, we have trained the model, like this is exactly what the broken tile looks like. So every time it sees the broken tile, it recognizes, okay, this is not normal. So it marks it and puts it on the side. It makes it a lot easier for engineers to recognize that, okay, this is a broken tile. So they don't have to go look for every single tile. Same thing with agriculture. It's recognized the brown spot in, around surrounded by green. It knows why it happened because we have enough data to train that model. Okay, this is the reason this brown spot occurs and these are the remedies. So every time it sees the brown spot throughout those sensors, it recognizes, okay, this is something wrong and let's capture it. So the deep learning algorithm is is churning all the time. Yeah. What do you do with the integrity of the data that's being stored? Is that your own IP or does it belong to your customer or who owns that content? So the data we collect, it's always owned by us. It's all encrypted, but we do not share it any other than our client. That's it. So for example, the data is only collected by us and it only goes directly to our clients and we make sure by the encryption it's not leaked to anyone like you know there are certain things that you don't have it in your hands like you know hackers we try to do everything to prevent those stuff but we understand the data is very important so we cannot share it with anyone it has to stay with us and our clients so our client have their own portal even sometimes we cannot even see their data like we upload it to them 
in their portal. Once they have it, we don't touch it. It's their data. What they do with it, it's up to them. And so you're basically your drone as a service. They they don't ever they don't buy the drone. They just buy the service contractor agreement with you, and then Blackwing is deployed. Yes. That's exactly what we do. We collect the data, we process, analyze, understand the data and give them the remedies, but we don't do anything with that data particularly. We get kind of give them everything that they need to make the right decision. And the more data they have, more informed decision that they can make. But one asset that you have, I think is 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 great. And you're a little bit like a collector crab. Like you've gone out and you've created this network and maybe you created this industry. Is this IP data that you collect, even though it does belong to the client, your customer, you have some really valuable market data, like PG&E, for example, right? And the Hurricane Center, I think, would find your content and data to be fascinating to prevent other future disasters. Down the road, will you be sharing that type of information? Yes, absolutely. That plan is down the road, but right now we are under non-disclosure agreement, so we cannot share the data that we have collected for certain years. After those agreements are over, the period is over, then we can do whatever we want to do with that data. Even though it's still owned by us, we cannot do anything with it because it matters so much to our clients, and we want to keep that between us and our client because that matters the most. They trusted us with their data. They trusted it with their coming up with some kind of solution because they were in need. We cannot just flip that over and use that data for something else. So you've been on this real voyage, not just to use your company name, but you are a voyager. And you probably didn't know that back in India. But do you have you fulfilled everything that it is that you wanted to do as that little boy in India that's at the airport watching the planes take off? Yes, absolutely. You know, I always wanted to do the things I'm doing right now. And as I grew, I wanted to do more things. So now have my dreams have changed. I mean, it has not changed. The original dreams are same. Like I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to be the scientist. I wanted to be a businessman. I had to make adjustment. Like, you know, I cannot do those things, but I can do this. So I am being fulfilled every day that I wake up like, okay, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. My solutions are saving people's lives. My solutions are actually creating new jobs. My solutions are actually solving a client's problem. But now I feel more optimistic about the future. It it seems more brighter because I'm already at the point, uh, most of my difficulties I have dealt with. And now the rest of it looks like easy. Now I feel like I have confidence, I have resources, I have the knowledge, I have the people. So now the potential we have is untouchable. So it's even it fuels us even more. So it makes my, myself very happy right now that I fulfilled my younger self. Now I have to fulfill my future self. So I want to make my future self proud. Like 75-year-old Ruth looks back at 26-year-old. I'm 26 right now. I want to look back and like, okay, that time I had this opportunity. What have you done with that opportunity? That was Root Patel, founder of Voyager Industries. Root says we're still in the early days of drone technology. In the future, he says drones will be like cell phones permeating just about every part of our lives. We'll use drones for emergency rescues, food delivery, retail delivery, Root even envisions a day when we'll deploy tiny drones into space. 
and Root says Voyager is ready for all of it. In the shorter term, he plans to take Voyager International, beginning with his native India. Thank you for listening. Follow Before Happen on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Before It Happened is produced by me, Donna Laughlin, along with Studio Pod Media. The executive producer is Katie Sunku Wood, and all episodes are written and developed by Jack Brewer, with additional editing and music provided by Noda Lab.